just over a year since I aired our first episode. It has been many, many months since I published the last. I have three episodes that I recorded last year but truly haven't had time to work on. Getting these episodes recorded and the Ohm Travelers podcast back on track has been at the top of my priority list for quite some time. Out of these three episodes, I am hoping I can record follow-ups with two of them since it has been quite some time since I spoke with these people and many things have gone on between then and now. I started the podcast because I was at a point in my life that I needed inspiration to make changes in the path I was heading down. I didn't know what that path would look like or where it would go, but I knew I needed to start walking it. We all have a path we walk. Some of us like the direction it's heading, others don't. No matter which side you are on, we can always make the path better in one way or another. Through this podcast, I've always hoped to bring some light to my world, and if you choose to listen, to yours also. Over the course of the next few months, I hope to share with you as much as I can about my new company, Nostalgia Chocolates, and also about the why and how of the creation of it. It's been an amazing experience that has introduced me to many inspirational people, but I made many mistakes that could have been avoided had I known a little better. One of the upcoming podcasts, I will have a guest host, and I will share some of that information to hopefully help you out on your path, whatever that may be. So for our first episode of what I guess could be called Season 2, you'll hear the story of Lawan White, principal at Lincoln Middle School in Syracuse, New York. She is a really cool lady who has dedicated her life to changing the lives of others in many ways beyond just in the school itself. I hope you enjoy her story, which starts in Brooklyn and heads to Syracuse. So enjoy the episode. Make sure to visit the website for our new chocolate company, www.nostalgiachocolates.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, so make sure to visit there. Give us a follow and likes on any pictures that you like to see there. And of course, if you need a little bit of zen and peace in your life, make sure you stop in at the yoga studio, O-Yoga, two locations, one in downtown Syracuse in the Deets Lantern Building, the other out in DeWitt. We hope to see you soon. Enjoy the episode and Happy New Year. Lawan White, who is the principal of Lincoln Middle School in Syracuse, New York. Lawan came into Tiffany My Life back, um, I guess, last year, last school year, um, when she had this wonderful idea, which we'll discuss in detail, but to bring what are called gratitude journals to the students at Lincoln Middle School in Syracuse. And so Tiffany uh, became a part of that with the yoga studio, as well as a few other businesses in the area to do some fundraising and raise the money to get the gratitude journals for all of the kids. So I'm very honored to have Luan here. This is a very, I think, a different avenue for the podcast today, which we've done a few of these lately, and it's really nice. So Luan, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So um, as usual, just give the listeners kind of a description of of where we are right now, and then we'll get into the podcast. Okay, so we're at Lincoln Middle School um, on Jane Street on, I guess they consider this the north side. Um, in the Sedgwick Farms community area. Uh, We're in the guidance room, and it's sort of, ironically, this is the room where the needs of children are met, so to speak. A lot of meetings happen around a lot of social and emotional conversations about, yes, we're a school, but the guidance room tends to be that room that's sort of the heart Yep. and sort of meets the needs and brings people together to meet the needs of our students who are um, have some social-emotional needs. So a lot of that happens in this room. Now, can you describe the, the make? Because this, this school covers a pretty broad range of socioeconomic um, levels in yeah. Syracuse, just based on its location next to a traditionally relatively wealthy neighborhood mm-hmm. on one side, and then a... I don't know what the right word would be for the rest of the neighborhood. I guess, um, I don't know if poor is the right word. That's probably not working the right poor. word. It could be working poor. We also have, you know, middle class. At the range is, is, is so broad. If out of any of the schools, I think, in this district, I think Lincoln represents all aspects of Syracuse City. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah. break that down a little bit for us, if you could. So we have about 500 st- students. We call them scholars. Okay. Um, 
we, out of the 500, we, I would say 25% of our population are what we call ENL, or English as a New Language. So um, uh, uh, refugees, uh, recent immigrants. Then another 25% of our population are students with special needs. And that could be from learning disabilities, physical disabilities, emotional disabilities. And then the other half of the building is sort of a um, general ed population that just runs the gamut. Um, we have children from all over, from the south side, north side, east mm. side, west side. I'm not a native of Syracuse, so when I arrived here, I learned a lot about the various quadrants yeah. as they're referenced. Yeah, that's how it's broken um, down. Yeah, but um, I truly believe that Lincoln really represents what the city is, the yep. city of yeah. Syracuse is. And it's a very unique area. I mean, it catches it a bad rap, I think, um, a lot of the time, but the city really has a lot to offer to people, I think, in general. Now, yeah. you mentioned the immigrant population. So mm-hmm. how many different immigrant, um, roughly, I know you probably don't know the exact number, but when yeah. the kids come here and they can't speak English, mm-hmm. how roughly how many different languages are being spoken when 26, they come? 26, roughly. And how do you guys, do you have interpreters for all, how does that get handled? No, so it's really um, sort of language acquisition that has to be addressed and it's almost as if you're teaching, even with our scholars who have special needs, it's sort of meeting them where they are. So we have ENL teachers. The district actually is quite helpful okay. in su- uh, uh, providing supports for our ENL uh, scholars. They test in when they first arrive, and they go into sort of the beginning, intermediate, and advanced classes. And then it's a lot of the strategies that are used, the ENL strategies that are used to sort of you know, get them affiliated with the English language. And it's a process. Um, You know, they're still young, so they sort of grab it quite quickly. A little, oftentimes, you know, working in a city school and any public school I think that you go to, when they're trying to adjust, especially in middle school, they tend to learn the words that aren't. Um, ones that we want them to right. repeat, those yeah. are the ones they usually, they usually sure. learn yeah. first. How did that I happen? I think when you arrived in the building, one of the young men was I heard using you, some spicy yeah, We call I it spicy language. I didn't hear the language, but I heard you, <laughs> you heard addressing it. You heard me say yes. language. Yes, I yes. heard you addressing yes. it. Yes, so uh, we call it spicy language. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's a model that is used to uh, acclimate them to the English language, and it really starts almost like as if you're teaching, you know, an infant from the very beginning. And because there are so many languages that are taught, I mean, it's really a skill and a a craft. So I really tip my hat off to our ENL teachers uh, because they usually adjust quite quickly because it's almost survival. Yeah, I guess you're right. Even not only in school. But when you're in a, in a, in a you're almost like a chameleon, so to speak, like when you're in an environment that if you don't learn this quickly, you know, it's like, you know, it's sink or swim. Yeah, on the street. So, and, yeah, yeah the and they tend to learn quite quickly. Yeah. yeah. Now, I knew early on that one of the things I didn't want to ever do was to get into education because mm. I did not like going to school. It was uh-huh. a struggle for me, okay. I and I still even get – a little bit of um, anxiety right. when I walk into schools. How just did you feel walking. In I was today? fine. There was too much other stuff going on when I walked in today, yes. so I just went right to the table to check in, and then right. I, you caught me. Right. But when I'm on like school buses, and I don't know, it just still gives me anxiety. So, at what point in in your life growing up did did it occur to you that this was the avenue that you wanted to follow? That's, that's so funny. So you said you didn't like school. So just to give you a little history about me, um, I'm born and bred a Brooklyn girl. Uh, I, my dad was in the military. Um, my parents divorced pretty early on. I want to say when I was about either three or four. Mm-hmm. And um, I lived with my mom, but dad was close by. We all lived in Brooklyn. And I went to Catholic school. Okay. Um, and so Catholic school up until the eighth grade. And then after Catholic school, I think my father had the fear of, okay, I have a daughter. And she's going to high school. So I think I'm going to send her to an all-girls Catholic high school, which I was completely and totally against. 
um, and he said, well, just go for one year, and if you, if you don't like it, then you can go ahead and go to public school. And I think he thought he was going to do that every year. <laughs> and so the one year I went, yeah. and I did really well, but I wanted out. I did not want to be in an all-girls Catholic right. school in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, because my parents weren't together, and I lived with mom, and the second year, he's like, oh, I paid the tuition already. You're going to have to go. And so that's when, you know, I started to push back. Okay, yeah. And then about midway, you know, my mom would go to work, and I was a latchkey kid. And uh, I would go to my best friend's house, whose mom was sort of super cool and liberal, and was like, hey, you guys don't have to go to school if you don't want to. <laughs> so we didn't. Yeah. And then next thing you know, my mom got a phone call. Well, you know, Luan's missed this many days of school. And uh, at that point, you know, my dad was up in arms, and so I ended up uh, being asked to leave the private school, the Catholic school, Major and I way went out. to public school. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I got what I wanted, um, but I just never was one that was into school. Um, so even with the kids these days, when they try to pull things, I'm like, you can't hustle a hustler. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. That, right? <laughs> so it was meant to be from an early age. Right. So I really wasn't into it until um, actually I came out of high school. Um, on time, you know, I ended up sort of going to summer school and doing all of the things I needed to do to catch up. And I decided to pursue a career in mortuary science because my dad owns a funeral. I was going to, okay, so I was going to ask you about, yes. okay, so we'll, we'll get, to, okay, yeah. yep. So I went that route and that's where my love of science kicked up. Really? Because okay. I really enjoyed science and I think it was the idea of going to Catholic school and learning about life in relation to the Bible, sure. but knowing that there had to be a scientific approach to this, like, hmm. I, I, I couldn't balance it. Like, you know, I just didn't like, no, Adam and Eve, no, wait, there's, <laughs> but I learned about cells yeah. and I learned about this and, you know, so it just didn't make sense to me. Hmm. And, but because it didn't, I actually really, it, it, just the idea of science and life and the makeup and all of that was what hooked me. Okay. And it was when I was in mortuary school that I really started to love biology. So is that where you went right after high school? Straight from high school. I was 17 years old. I went to the American Academy of McAllister Institute okay. in New York City. Um, I think it was like on 59th and 9th Ave. And what was that like? Um, I was young. I mean, it was intense yeah. because, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, being immersed in science, you know, from embalming to cosmetology. Well, you don't think about it, people that are on the outside of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And it was intense. And here it was, I was 17 years old amongst people who were career changers. Because I don't think anyone would just dive into wanting to be a funeral director or a mortician. Was this your um, mom's father or your dad's father? So it was my dad, and he sort of fell into it. My grandfather, my dad's father, was like the George Jefferson of Bedsty, Brooklyn. He had a chain of cleaners. Oh, really? So oh. my dad sort of fell into it. Um, he wasn't too much into school himself. He came out of high school and went straight into the Army. Okay. And then came out and sort of worked and then just was interested in, in funeral directing and went to mortuary school. And then opened up his and own funeral opened, home. found a funeral home and opened it up and moved on top, you know, on the top part of the funeral home. And that was his house. And wow. that's where I ended up being born. Oh, and wow. I was living in the funeral home. So you kind so of grew up around I it. I grew so, up around yeah. it. Like, you know, the laundry room was to oh, the left man. and the embalming room was yeah. to the right. <laughs> but I was never allowed to go in the embalming room. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, movie, My Girl. I was thinking that as we were talking. That yeah. was my life. Oh, okay. But I was never allowed to go yeah. in that embalming room. But because I wasn't allowed to go in there. You had to go I in there. I constantly <laughs> was sneaking to yeah. see. Like, I want to, you know. Yeah. Until I saw that, you know, one body on Ooh. there. And it was like, ah! And then I ran up the stairs but then I just kept wanting to go interesting and see and, yeah so without yeah. even realizing it the science part of it the biology part of it was kind of planted early on it was yeah and more out of curiosity okay than so anything. so you're a licensed funeral director I'm a licensed funeral director okay yeah. and then did you go into the family business at all or did did the love of science and stuff like that come about and you just went on with education so I did the love of science uh, came up and 
because I wasn't one that was really about school, I didn't I didn't really have plans for college. Okay. You know, my dad was always sort of mad. He was like the master manipulator with like, well, why don't you try this yeah. out for one more year? <laughs> you know, so he tried it with high school. Yeah. It didn't work. But after mortuary school, St. John's University was affiliated with um, American Academy of McAllister. So uh, my dad says, well, why don't you go and, you know, try to finish out and get the bachelor's degree yeah. in it? Because it just would have been an associate's. So I said, okay. Um, so I went and I stayed on campus in Staten Island. So I got this sort of away from home college experience, you know, lived in a dorm on campus. And then... Um, was college a different experience for you than high school was? Or was it still the same kind of... No, it was about the same. Because yeah, okay. high school wasn't bad. Yeah. You know, I, I was definitely, you know, um, you know, I had friends. I, yeah. I, I didn't dread it. You know, I enjoyed high school. I enjoyed college you know so I didn't I didn't not like the social side of it it was just sort of especially in high school I wasn't really interested in the academic side but when I got to mortuary school because it was a focused area and it was solely science that was my thing so I was I was passionate about it I mean I was in it and, and really really busted my butt because I really enjoyed it and I wanted to be really good. Yeah. And I think also because I always wanted validation from my dad. Okay. So, and he was good at what he did and he was a respected business owner in oh, the that's community. Really nice. So yeah. it was, I, I needed to do just as well, if not better. Yeah. Oh. So, and, and because I knew that would make him proud. Yeah. Even though he didn't want me to go into it, which was interesting. Yeah. He wanted me to go into something else. Um, law or anything else but you know I just felt like this is what I want to do this is what I'm interested in so I did St. John's University and then uh, I went to grad school and I continued but I was going to start as a microbiologist and I was like okay this is I don't know what you just got yourself into (laughs) so I decided you really love science maybe teaching so, yeah. you know, I don't know how that even kicked up. It was a conversation. And someone was like, you know, you probably would be a really good teacher. And so that's how I just sort of fell into the education side of things. And uh, never was one for little kids. I always liked, maybe I like to torture myself. Yeah. I liked sort of, you know, adolescence and high school age. And so that's where I continued. And I went ahead and did my master's degree. Still in New York City. Well, in, well, yep, in Staten Island okay. at Wagner College. Oh, okay. So I took one year off and went home, and I worked at Ralph Lauren for a year at the flagship store on Madison Avenue. So that was a really, really good time. Yeah. You know, because it was like in the 90s, yeah. and Ralph Lauren was at a peak, and I'm at the, the main store, the mansion. So I got to see all of the celebrities. Uh-huh. I was just a cashier. Yeah. There. But it was just like, you know, we just had a really good time. So that was a really good year of fun and hanging out and, you know, all that good stuff. And then I uh, went back and I was like, okay, I started this master's degree. And that's when it, I went more toward education. Education. Okay. So when you got out from your master's mm-hmm. at Wagner, mm-hmm. where what was your next step after that? So I did my master's and I came home and I got a job. And I was teaching those the students who didn't pass the biology regents the first time. Okay. So, so that was, that they is that summertime? risk. No, they were the at risk. So they were actually the juniors and seniors okay. in high school who didn't pass regents when they were supposed to take it in as a freshman. Oh, so oh. So here it is. I'm like in my very early 20s coming out of grad school and I'm teaching the, you know, 19 year olds, yep. 18 and 19 year olds okay. who should be coming out of high school and going off to college themselves. Okay. And they were considered back then at risk. And so it was interesting because I was still rather young myself. Yeah. Um, but I loved it, and I taught on a high school level. Um, so it was it was great, and I did that for about three years um, with a community-based organization called Institute for Student Achievement. And then and they were based out of Long Island. Okay. But I worked in Brooklyn, and I worked in a high school. Actually, that was a couple of blocks from my home. And then um, I left there and started working with New York City Department of Education. And I got a landed a teaching job with them, and that was in 2000. Okay. So I had already been teaching about three and a half years. And uh, I taught middle school in Staten Island, and then uh, taught for some time. Taught there, then I taught back in Brooklyn for a little bit. And um, so I taught for about seven, seven and a half years. And you enjoyed it? I loved it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I loved it. I, I just, just, it was my thing. And you like being immersed in the city culture, it seems like. I mean, that's how you grew up. Yep. That's, that was your school, except for, well, that was your high, part of your high school career. So mm-hmm. you've, you know that, like you really. I live it. I breathe it. Even when I moved here, I refused to go out of the city itself. And what literally brought, on the cusp. Yeah. Well, <laughs> literally. Yeah. What mm-hmm. brought you to Syracuse? Um, so at the time it was, I had been in New York City teaching for, what, almost 20 years? You know, teaching or, you know, as far as either teaching or being a, a principal. Yeah. And um, just life. There was just stuff that had happened. It was uh, uh, my dad and my stepmom after 36 years split. So it was just like, you know, here it is. I'm, you know, in my early 40s and I'm watching this you know, marriage sort of unraveled, and yeah. I'm just like, what is this? And I literally lived doors away oh. from my dad. So yeah. the block I was born on, I was still living in the same apartment, oh, wow. in this two-room studio on the same block that 20 years prior, no one would have ever lived there. But where I lived was about four blocks from the new Barclays Arena that they had built oh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. And the whole community had changed so much that I couldn't even afford to buy anything there. Like a one-bedroom apartment easily would be a half, a quarter of a million, upwards to a half a million in that neighborhood. So it, I had, I sort of stayed so long mm. in this rent-stabilized apartment, which no one would ever leave in New York City. Right, that's like a diamond in the <laughs> yeah. rough. Um, and here it is. I'm in one of the prime neighborhoods in New York City. And then, you know, life was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. I worked. I worked in the community. My stepmom was a teacher. She taught the little kids. I taught the older kids. We had this business, this funeral home in Brooklyn, and it was doing well and respected. And, you know, and then just one day, it just all sort of fell apart. And it was just odd. Like like I said, my parents, and I say my parents because my mom, and she had remarried, and she lived in the community as well. Okay. But what I had known as a as a solid marriage had uh, unraveled, and I think it just... And that was your dad and your stepmom? My dad and okay. my stepmom. And then just life started to happen, and it just... I had never left mm, Brooklyn. I, right. I did leave. I got engaged when I, when I opened up my first school in 2004, and I went to New Jersey. Okay. Jersey City, and quickly realized that, you know, this is not the person I need to oh. marry, so I came right back to Brooklyn. Yeah. But Brooklyn was this sort of you know, comfort zone for me. But I hadn't known anything else. So the first apartment I moved into was the apartment I left to come here. You know, it was this real comfort zone. And I just really needed to take this leap of faith. And a friend of mine was working up here and suggested, like, hey, you know, they need turnaround principles up here. And so I was like, okay, it's not too far. It's still in New York State. Maybe I get to try something else. You know, I just, yeah. I don't know, I just needed to, I needed to get out of. That's a scary comf- move. It was really yeah. scary because I just, it was just like my cat and I, and, you know, we just got in a U-Haul and we came up here. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, so I had done, you know, a lot down in Brooklyn and, you know, had opened a school in the Bronx, not in the Bronx, in Brooklyn. I opened a school in Queens, like, you know, founding principal of two schools. You know, I took a turnaround school in the Bronx. Like, I had done it all. Yeah. And it was like, okay, what's next? So. Now, over the course of time of you being in um, education, I, I mean, I'm not even in education, and I can see the changes that have happened. You know, I hear, you know, we live over by Nottingham High School, and I hear people that have lived in the neighborhood for 50 years say, even in the last 10 years, the difference that has happened in the school. So... And, I, and I, I'm going to go on a limb here, but I'm going to say a lot of it up until recently has not been positive. Right. And I think recent events that have happened, and you know, with the school shooting down in Florida and things like that, it just further um, justifies just, the, I mean, the craziness in the world, but certainly what's going on with younger people today. Yeah. So what are some of the, the ch- change? Because you've come here and you've made a big difference. So I guess what I'm getting at is, what are some of the things that you saw in your time teaching and being in administration that have helped you to figure out what needs to be done to help change the focus of kids and show them that 
there is hope for them. There is, I know it's a broad topic, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you could explain that, because you're making a huge impact in our community, but also at this school. And what has caused, I mean, what, what have you figured out, I guess? I, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I think it's, and thank you for saying that. It's, um, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I first got here um, after day one, I was like, what the hell did you get yourself into? Yeah. You know, because it was it was different. It was different. It was different than what I had experienced in New York City. I think um, what I would originally witnessed here was what I experienced in New York City in the 90s, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, before a lot of the changes happened, you know, and I guess it's very similar to the change that may have even happened here over the years, you know, because people will say, oh, well, back in the days, well, it was never like this. And I don't know what shift happened. I know in New York City, you know, there were um, a lot of things that were happening in the communities um, that, you know, caused a lot of the experiences for families and the children especially uh, to be sort of taxing on communities. And I remember it being, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s when, you know, uh, the crack cocaine era Mm -hmm. um, really had an impact in New York City and, and that really caused, you know, some things in communities to happen Um, and then I know schools felt that heavily Um, here a lot of what I witnessed in a lot of our children is just um, pain but to the core and it really it wasn't until because I didn't know what was going I couldn't relate to this when when I arrived here in Syracuse I didn't know how to even address it um, you know, I had been spoken to in ways that I wasn't accustomed to at all, mm. um, and I just didn't get it. So the only way for me to get it was I needed to get out of this building and start making my way to people's homes. Mm. And so, my, as you know, it's, my mom was completely and totally against it. Yeah, You're I mean, that's probably pretty. Un, that's probably a pretty unheard of approach. Yeah, yeah, I had to go out to the homes. Mm. And so once I got in the homes, then I got a lot of my answers. How were you received when you went to people's homes? People would look at me at the door and say, who are you? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm Miss White, I'm the principal. And they would look, oh, come in. Oh, okay. So for the most part, it was pretty warm. They, they, would, they would invite me right in, Yeah. you know, and sit down. Can I get you something to drink? Would you like something to eat? You know, I think that the fact that someone was willing to come out to the home, I, myself and some of the teachers and one of my, my uh, assistant principals, he actually, because I didn't really know how to navigate Syracuse, right. he actually would go with me certain okay. places. And some of the teachers, because they thought that, hey, this is, I guess, something different. Why not go to the... And then I think even as teachers, the way they would have responded to ill behavior once they went in the home and they saw what some of the kids were sure. living with... Yeah. Um, it made their approach different. Well, because a lot of the teachers don't live in the neighborhoods nope. around here. And no. that's, yeah, I mean, that's just the way life is, but it's not necessarily a benefit. But there's no, around here, I imagine, there's, you can't force them to live in a certain place. No, you can't. Yeah. And, I, and I get it. But I think one of the things, too, when a child knows that you're willing to go on to their, you know, sort of on their right. turf yeah. and sort of, free yourself and, and just be a person who cares enough because if you go to their home they're looking at you like oh my gosh well somebody's made the effort for someone them someone for them yeah. and that's probably in some cases more than what they get on a normal sure. basis even yeah. from you know loved ones that you know someone will come and care enough to say I'm going to leave school and I'm going to come to your home and I'm going to sit in your living room and we're going to figure this out yeah because you're better than what you're giving did you find or have you found that by kind of opening yourself up to that, that the, the parents have, like the pa- parents who maybe weren't as involved, mm-hmm. have you found that they have become more involved? So like events at school are more well attended since you've made the effort with Absolutely. them? Absolutely. Because the same way you felt coming into the building as a, you probably went back into your like middle school and high school days, yeah. like, oh my God, that anxiety. Yeah. Our parents feel the same way. Yeah. And a lot of them do, they may not have, maybe up until the eighth grade, that was as far as right. they went. Yeah. And so they feel like if they walk into this building, someone's going to look down on them. 
right? Uh, yeah. So one of the things this year that we uh, implemented, we had opened up a family room last year, but I really, really wanted, I said, we have to bring some type of, you know, education program for our families to come in and very much be a part of what we're doing. So we started a GED program. Wow. Um, here, and you wouldn't believe just, and we started in November, and this is March, and we already have two graduates. Oh, wow. Which is a huge deal. And they're two graduates of one is a father of yeah. a student here, and the other is a sister of a student here. Oh, wow. So that's, that's the really beginning neat. of the shift that needs yeah. to happen in the community. Because, yes, we have this generation that we're hoping to make sure we see them through. Yeah. But those that didn't get seen through, it's the opportunity of allowing them to sort of circle back with no judgment and come through. To And, and that's what's going to change the community, yeah. and that's the way to go. So once you educate one more in the family, then that's one more who can bring money into the home that can ultimately bring money into the community. You know, and then that's when you'll see the shift happening. And I think it also, I would think, would show the kids mm-hmm. that – like, this is something that we can do, we can take, you know, that we need, late. right. What other things since you've been here have you, um, like, when you got, between the time you got here and saw everything and were a little bit taken aback by what was going on, mm-hmm. what other things have you found to try to better the daily environment here for the kids and ultimately for the families? So one of the things was, was the branding. I think anything... Um, that it's, you know, it's when you buy a new house, you go into any kind of new environment. If you make it a welcoming space, then people will feel more welcome to come in. So that was the first thing, Um, just walking around the building and taking pictures and trying to figure out how can we beautify this, Mm, mm -hmm. you know? Like we, we create, I had a logo created, and then I had shirts made and bags made and, you know, we put the logo on the floor in the main foyer and we the signage. And I needed the children the minute they arrived here, especially if they were children who had already been here in the sixth or seventh grade and they were in the eighth grade. Because when I arrived, I was the fifth principal out of six. Mm. So every single year for the group that I first had, they had a different principal. So mm. it really, they needed to come back and see like, you know, this is my building, but it right. didn't, this is my school, but it didn't look like this when I left. Yeah. Because that was right away telling them, like, new beginnings. Yeah. Well, it's clean. Right. And, like, that it's very orderly. Piece. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it was loud, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's a school full of sixth, seventh, and eighth mm-hmm. grade kids. 500 of them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's going to be loud. Yeah. But it was very, um, I mean, like, the kids are walking down the hallway mm-hmm. in order, mm-hmm. and it's very clean. It's bright. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely, you know, a warming environment. And that was the main thing right there, like making sure it was clean, making sure that there was signage and some type of desire to want to be a part of something, something that they were proud of. So that was the first thing that we started to focus on. Okay. Um, And then that's, then immediately before any of the kids came, uh, Mr. Richardson, who's one of the assistant principals, he said, I'll take you around. And we started visiting homes that summer. So wow. before they even walked in here in September, uh, we made home visits. So it was like, I've already seen you in your living room. So yeah. once you come here, we've already met. And what so. was what was that experience like for you coming from New York City, which has, I mean, in the last probably 10 or 15 years, had a huge turnaround. Huge. Um, to come to a city like Syracuse, which is not even a tenth the size of New York City probably mm-hmm. what describe kind of your reaction is now I'm not saying just the homes I, I'm just like the whole neighborhood of what the school encompasses what what was your first reaction when you were driving around it was it was interesting because when I came in I of course coming from New York City I was looking even to live myself I was looking for um, you know an apartment because that's just what how I lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, I'd never thought like I would drive around this this city and see that a lot of people don't live in apartments here. Right. You know what I mean? A lot of them live in houses. Houses, yeah. You know, so that was sort of for me this Brooklyn girl who really knew nothing else and yeah. I was a little embarrassed. I mean, other than traveling and I didn't even start traveling until I was in my 30s. Right. I was just this Brooklyn girl who knew Brooklyn and thought <laughs> everything about life is Brooklyn. Yeah. And so when I got here and it's like 
oh, you know, and then the other thing too is that, you know, when I first got in the building, parents respond quickly because they can. They can get, you know, unlike New York City, if you're, you know, paying this high rent, mm. nine times out of 10, a parent has two or three jobs. So there's no way in the world that they could get to the school. Mm. And if they're taking the train into Manhattan or Queens or the Bronx, but they live in Brooklyn, they can't get there as right. quickly. Whereas here, a parent shows up in 10 minutes. Right. And yeah. you're like, how? wait a minute. So, and then there was the sort of my own ignorance, you know, because in New York City, if you're gonna get around New York City, you have to have at least $5 a day in your pocket, whether you're working poor or not, because that's just how you get sure. around. You have to get on the, uh, the, um, with a metro card yeah. and here it's obviously it's different you know and I would say oh well we're gonna go do this and the kids will have to pay two dollars and some of the staff members would say but some of our kids don't have two dollars mm. and I'm like what do you mean they don't have two dollars and that was my own ignorance yeah. like how dare I assume that you know that's just what what do you mean they don't have two dollars like yeah. it was just it's such an ignorant comment on my behalf so there were just there was a lot. This is Syracuse, and it's a city, but it's a small city. Yes, you know it's a very it's not New York City. It's a small city. It's almost like a borough in New York City, but because New York City is so large with all of the boroughs, the resources there are just you know much more mm -hmm. as compared to here. But then I also realized while I was here in a short time that there are tons of resources here. I mean, tons of resources that are accessible. Yeah. Um, especially in the schools. I've never seen, so in, your, in in this district, I think even in this building, for out of every, I would say, 10 to 15 children, there's one adult. Which is good. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Like unheard of. Mm. The way I was trying to, because as a principal in New York City, we had autonomy over our budgets, and we were always trying to manage the people. Yeah. But here, I mean, there is such opportunity here, not only just to sort of engage the community, the community as far as jobs are concerned, but there's at least for every, like I said, 10 to 15 children, one adult that a child can go to. Yeah. So it really was about opening the eyes of the adults to the children's needs and sort of I think moving away from addressing the behaviors and understanding where the behaviors came from. So getting into the story a little more. Getting more into the story yeah. and understanding, because like I said, it wasn't until I went to the homes. Yeah. And then you see the story. And then you're almost looking at this child like, oh my goodness. Yeah. You're, you're a super child yeah. because the child may be the one who is taking care of things in the home, mm. but then they come here, and this is their release. They get to be a kid. They just bug out. Yeah. And they bug out, <laughs> yeah. right? But when you sit down and the one who seeks the most attention in the most unconventional ways yeah. are the ones who need love the yeah. most, who need an understanding the most, who need you know the relationships yeah. the most. And so that's where it goes, and that's where it, it sort of, that's where the focus is. Yeah. So I think when us as adults get out of our own way and realizing that this 11 or 12 year old who just got quite saucy yeah. with their mouth, they're seeking your attention. Yeah. You know, they're seeking your attention, and it's how we respond to it. And there are days when I'm like, okay, I'm gonna walk away. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna walk away. But a lot of it, and I've even noticed in the expectations around their own learning. So you have children that'll misbehave because they don't want to be seen or known for the struggle that they're having academically. So how do we how are we more culturally responsive mm. to the needs? Because mm -hmm. that's another piece as well. Because even arriving here as a black woman, when I arrived here, there wasn't many. They, the diversity didn't really exist in the staff, but it did with the children. So there really had to be. Yeah. You know, we needed to really bring some people in here that look like the children. Well, I think it's interesting. A lot of what you say carries over to adults, too. Absolutely. You know, I mean, a lot of times we, and I, in my job, I do a lot with people, and, um, you know, it can be stressful for them. And it took me a long time to 
realize that when somebody calls me up and they're frustrated and they're angry and they're coming at me, it's what they're you. it's yeah. not me exactly, nope. and it's it's something that could have happened four or five people before it got before they got to me. I'm just where it's manifesting, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times we don't um, we don't think about that with kids. No. We just think that kids are just being jerks mm-hmm. and not. We don't ever stop to think that, well, they've had experiences before. Like, there are things that are leading up to this, right. and we're just where it came from. And it's easy for adults to just grab power. Um, power is safe. It what is. think it's safe. Right, but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't help anybody. No, no. So I, I think that's just no. an incredible approach. And yeah. did that all kind of come to you when you started going into the homes? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm, you would not believe. When I tell you some of the things that I have seen. Yeah. You would not believe. And I think because I have gone in the home, when they come to school, I've seen their I've seen yeah. their world. Yeah. You know, so they'll look at me to determine if I'm gonna keep their world safe. Mm. Right? And if I keep their world safe and understanding how to get you know, and, and you have to have a sense of humor. So I had a student, you know, who because I went in the home you know, the parents introduced themselves as their first names, and they said, well, call me such and such. Mm-hmm. So when we were in school and the scholar wants to <sighs> act up, I'm like, don't make me call Paul, <laughs> right? And they'll yeah. look at me, and I'm like, because I'll call Paul, <laughs> right? You don't want Paul up here, yeah. do you? So, and then they'll look at me and go, no, Miss White, I don't want yeah. Paul up here. Yeah. And so now you have tapped into something that's relatable, yeah. and now they start to feel a little safe with you because the kids gave me a run for my money when I first got here. But See, they had had five other principals. They could push around. and there's right. a, yep. No one lasted. So they're like, yeah, let's see if you stick around. And there were a lot of teachers in the same boat, you know, especially a lot of my yeah. teachers who teach my highest need children yep. because they, had, they were accustomed to being abandoned. They were accustomed to not mm. having any consistency. They were accustomed to not having high expectations. Yeah. They were accustomed to being called you dumb MFA, you know, at home because in the community, that's how they communicate, you know. And so I had to share with staff, you know, one, you know, being mindful of the cultural relevance that you can bring into your classroom. Two, that we need to show them that there is another way so they get to make choices. And that's really what you want them to understand. And I think that's where this whole gratitude project because I couldn't get it year one. But when I started to, when we started looking at having kids recognize what they do have that's a blessing to them or, or something that they could just be grateful for, you know, then it will help shift the mindset. So we're seeing kids hugging a lot more. Oh. You know, Which some of the really roughest nice. ones. Yeah. I mean, some of the, you know, and I mean, rough. Yeah, and I'm a hugger. I, you know, it yeah. makes a big difference. And I wasn't. You. Yeah. I was not a hugger until huh. I got here. <laughs> I was not a, don't touch me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't, don't touch yeah. me, don't, uh, don't hug on me, none of it. Yeah. But it has softened me in a way that those hugs, believe it or not, has allowed us to enter setting some other expectations for the kids. Um, but it, it has a lot to do with, and it's solely about relationships. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take a large investment into somebody's day or life mm-hmm. or, you know, it just takes looking them in the eye and asking a question. Yeah. And, it you know, and, and oftentimes we avoid that. You know, even just we avoid saying hello to people when we walk by them or saying good morning or holding the door. We're yeah. just like, ugh. Yeah. You know. And I don't know why. I don't know either. So the gratitude journals, um, you that started with the teachers, right? So it did. So it started with the whole, you know, story of me stopping at Original Grain. I was annoyed. Like something had happened the night before professionally that really just made me start losing some faith in in the process. And um, I was at the register, and I saw this gratitude journal, and I saw the little sign for it. And I was like, oh, this is cute. And I've always journaled, you know, journaled. but I never journaled with the idea of gratitude other than just journaling, just to document mm-hmm. what was going almost like a diary when okay. I was a little girl. It was like in that way, but not looking at it through that lens of you have so much to be thankful for. Like you're in your feelings right now and something completely, you know, unrelated. You're getting the smoothie. And it was just like it almost spoke to me at a time that it needed to. Mm. Um, and so it did. It's, I came back and I shared it with one of my teachers. And I was just like, I, I, I want to bring this to the school and um, 
she was like, okay. And then maybe three days later, um, she shared a text with, um, uh, um, why is his name slipping me right now? From the gratitude. Oh, with Teddy. Teddy. Yep. And uh, she shared a text, and then that next weekend, she was in New York City with him, sharing a picture with like a journal, and like, we've connected, and we're going to figure something out. And so uh, he was communicating back and forth with us. And then next thing you know, it was just like, you know, you guys got on the bandwagon yeah. and a pizza and original grain and just all of these organizations. And I'm like, wait a minute. And then the fundraising began. Yeah. And the kids were like high off of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, describe like, that when they, because does every know. kid have one in the every school? Every single And how many kids are there in the school, roughly? 500. So, so 500 gratitude journals. Now, and Plus does, the, every adult has one. All the, okay, now do they stay in school? Like is they it something do. that's done on a regular basis even still? So we, so we realized that to write in it every single day it's a lot. was a lot, yep. right? So what we did is Tuesdays and Thursdays wow. are our gratitude journal days. And then Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays are our, um, we call them our circle mornings. Okay. So it could be a variety of topics of things that are going on in society. But we have these circle prompts, so they'll have like a talking piece, and they'll yeah. pass it around, and you know they'll speak about their weekend. They'll speak about something that you know they saw in the news that has an impact. Wow. They'll speak about awards and ceremonies and things. Yeah. Who got the best actress on the Oscars? Who won a Grammy? So it's just you know, good whatever. stuff. Just yeah. good stuff to sort of so they get a chance to be heard. Yeah. Because often they're not heard. Right. And their voice is not valued, and they have such a powerful voice. Yeah. So they get that, and then they get to have their sort of intimate time mm. with the journal. But to see some of the things that they're grateful for is just so humbling. Well, and it's got to be really cool for them to put it down on paper because it's one thing that, you know, you could, you know, they get a, they get a candy bar from, for doing the, the, bringing the neighbor's garbage cans. But, like, and that's one thing for them to have in their mind. But when I think – you put it actually down on paper, and they can see it there in front of them, and that makes it real. It does, and it makes it there permanent. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're also because of that, they they didn't think. I think that it wasn't really safe for them to share how they feel, so they they speak more in gratitude in in a, in a way of yeah. gratitude. Well, like they'll say to it, like I had a student right before you got there. Um, got here, we had this whole process with the cell phones and often invisible, and you know, it was a whole process with some really mean things were going on on social media. Oh, and that's a just, miserable place. It's, it's just, and the <laughs> stuff that we deal with with social media yeah. on a daily basis is just so incredibly frustrating. So much, so much so that I came off of social media yeah. because I just, it just was disheartening to yeah. see what was going on. So, one of the students the other day, she had her cell phone out and she clearly was having a moment, and I said, often invisible. And I walked away, and she took the phone and literally put it to her ear and commenced to calling someone. And I was like, this is what we're going to do? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we went back and forth, and I was like, okay, not acceptable. Like, I was kind. I asked you to put it away. You know, you just were being a little blatant with it. So I need you to go into Vic, and Vic is our behavior intervention center. So she was, wasn't going. She sat on the bench right in the front. She's mm -hmm. going to stay on the cell phone. So I said, okay, I'm going to let mommy know, but I'm going to let you figure this out. So I let mom know. Mom partnered with me, mm -hmm. thank goodness, and she doesn't get the phone until I think 8 o'clock and maybe has an hour in the evening now. Yep. So she walks up to me and she gives me a hug, which she would have never done last year, yep. and says, I'm sorry for disrespecting you. My mom agrees with you, and she did such and such and such and such. And even though I don't have my phone the way I had it, I just want to just – I just want to say thank you. She gives me a hug. And I was like, I'm not quite sure if you're, <laughs> if right. you're saying yeah. this because you really mean it. And she says, no, I really do. She was like, there was no reason for me. But, I mean, that's incredible. And that almost brings you tears know. to my eyes. Like, that's yeah. incredible, the impact that teaching kids to – well, first of all, not engaging them in a fight. Right. And also letting them sit – like what you said earlier on, letting them sit with – their thoughts or with their emotions and then revisiting it at a later time. I mean, the number of times that I used to fire off an email or, you know, send a text message and, and the number of times, pretty much 99.9% .9 of the time you look back on it and you're like, ah, even, even an hour later, you're like, yeah. okay, my feelings are different. Yeah. I really wish. And it, you know, teaching people at a young age to be able to do that is like, 
I mean, that's a that's a world changing thing there that mm-hmm. we've never taught. And these days, it's so easy just to say something or rifle it off and not have to face it. Mm-hmm. And that's what social media has created. Yes. Yeah. And so a lot of our students are just responding. Yeah. And they're not thinking. And that's what we want. And they don't know that it's not worth think. it. No, no. And I tell them, I said, you don't want to be a keyboard gangster. Right. You don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, you want because whatever is captured is memorialized. Yeah. And that's not what you what may that's may not be how you want to express yourself. Yeah. So about just sort of being examples to it, but the the gratitude journal has allowed us at least this year, mm. which is really because we've seen a significant decline in our referrals. I mean, significant yeah. a significant decline after this got put in place this year. So and we've had year after year declines, but this is my third year. Yeah. And it's been more significant this year than any other year. What's the plan to keep that program in place? Like, have to keep it going and hopefully do the same type of fundraising because the fundraising also the kids got out. You know, yeah, they got to a pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pizza. They created these pizzas and the smoothie. The smoothie. I mean, just amazing. Our staff and were allowed to take a yoga class, and they even came together. You know, so our community, literally, not just our school community, but just the business community, wrapping themselves around Lincoln. Yeah. I mean, really made a huge impact. I actually took one of my students from the school that I opened up in Brooklyn in two thousand four. Um, she's currently a junior at SU. Oh wow, and that's she's so from cool! Brownsville, Brooklyn. When Brownsville, Brooklyn was still a tough place, a little tough place. Yeah. So I took her and one of the students that is currently an eighth grader here. Yeah. Um, we all went to dinner at a pizza. Oh, so that's like so neat. So it was like my neat. world's connected, yeah. like my Brooklyn world. So you know, Vanessa got a chance to tell. My current student, yeah. Erica, you know how Miss White was in Brooklyn, and they're yeah. like now talking about, oh, well, yeah, this is what oh, Miss White so does. Oh, that's so funny. And so now Erica's like, well, when are we going to dinner again? Oh, that's but great. But just even the students in the in the picture, um, and one of those students is not with us. He's in, um, you know, his 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 world is one that was just sort of one of those worlds that was just sort of upside down, yeah. all over the place, no real family stability. Mm. You know, I think now he's in, I think he might be in Oswego now. Okay. Um, but that, he, how he communicated through that mm. experience was just one that he will never forget. Yeah. You know, but he was super proud of what he contributed to that. You know, so it really, it's it's done a lot for us here at Lincoln. Yeah. And, but I think it was just something that happened that was just right on time. Yeah. That needed to happen. But we'll have to make sure that we keep it going going forward. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to get in touch with the a pizza and um, original grain. And I know Tiffany would certainly will do what we can again. Yeah. But I mean, and going forward, it's nice because we've done the we've done the heavy lifting. Yeah. You know, now it's just getting the new kids coming in That's and it, maybe some fresh yeah. books That's because it. the kids you, will fill theirs up. Exactly. So. And I think the books, you know, as they're writing two times a week because they do stay here. That, that book they could probably see themselves through yeah. um, for the three years, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Uh, because you're writing, you know, sort of small, so you're not writing full pages. Right. Um, but, you know, when you pick them up, you know, and, and you just sort of glance at them without the kids knowing and you read some of the things that they yeah. write, it's, it's uh, even when you feel as an educator that you're not doing enough and you're not getting through and, you know, the gray hairs are coming out more, yep. and you're, you know, I had a parent the other day who was like, Miss White, do you sleep? And I'm like, sometimes, <laughs> you know, but then you open up with just one random book, and you read, yeah. you know, what they're saying, you know, and it's like, okay, I, you know, this is, I'm making a difference, even when you think you're not. Now, you also do some other things outside of school hours here at the school that you started on your own, and I believe there was a Thanksgiving dinner. Huge. So we worked with we rise above the streets. Okay. So again, so when I talk about this, this gratitude, so that all of that and everything that we've done after has stemmed out of that gratitude journal. So was rise above the streets the um, program that was started by the gentleman who was he was homeless? Yes. 
What's his yes, name? Muhammad, Ms. Muhammad. Yes, Muhammad. I read about that. Yes. I got to get him on this podcast. You have to. You'll have to help Amazing okay. man. It sounds like it. Everything I've read is, is like. unbelievable. But again, so here we're doing this gratitude piece. Yep. And then right around August, uh, the federal government decides to give uh, Syracuse City Schools um, these community school grants, monies. And they were nice significant Mm -hmm. monies and we were asked to make a plan and so everything that was in that plan were all of the things that we've implemented so that GED program Mm -hmm. for example we're getting ready to now have a big uh, job fair for our families specifically for our families that's affiliated with SU because they have jobs from sort of entry level to sort of up their level depending on where you are where you fall in, in as far as education or lack thereof. When is that you taking know, place? That is this month. I want to say on the Thursdays. I want to say the twenty. Let me see. I want to say I don't know why the twenty sixth is stuck sticking out to me. But we may not have this out in time for that. But is that something that you guys think you'll have going forward? So if there are companies oh, that yeah. are out there listening, they could do they. Where do they find information about that? Do you know? Uh, we will have that on our website. On the Lincoln Middle School on website. On the Lincoln okay. Middle School website, okay. which is www.lincolnscsd.com. Okay. Um, I want to say there's so much stuff. There was spring council. All of our stuff is on, on that the website. website. Okay. Um, but I'm looking at it. Family and community engagement. And we'll make sure that. There we'll... we go. So it's the 22nd. Okay. And it would be from 2.30 until 5 p.m. Okay. And that's a huge SU job information session. Okay. Um, so another thing that we connected was with uh, El Amin Muhammad and the Rise Above the Streets because we wanted our students, as part of a, sort of a community development, to they would prepare sandwiches that were distributed to the homeless yes, people. Yes, yeah. But we decided to expand it, and so... Um, that's when we did the big uh, Thanksgiving uh, event. So the students made the sandwiches yeah. and everything. We had it completely catered by an outside uh, restaurant. We had raffles and baskets. Who was the restaurant that did the catering? I can't remember the name okay. of it. It was a restaurant that used to be an actual restaurant that I think just does cater okay. now. But they right. were pretty well known yep. in the area. Um, I mean, it was amazing. That's, that's incredible. So how many families came for that about... Like just a ballpark. Probably over a hundred. Wow. Well over a hundred. And a lot of them being our families that were right here. Yeah. Our refugee families. That's incredible. That in yeah, it was it was beautiful. It was in our first time doing it. Okay. So it was just it was really, really nice. And so we actually all were out about a month ago, right before I went away. The Saturday before, because every Saturday uh, they go and they feed the homeless uh, down over near the mission. The, the Rise uh, Above group does? The rescue mission. Yeah. Oh, yes. Every yeah, right, Saturday. under the bridges. So, yeah. Right. yeah. So we actually went. So myself and my APs, they oh, stayed at wow. the headquarters and prepared, you know, more of the sandwiches. Our kids prepared the sandwiches, and then we went out, and that was my first time doing oh, it. Oh, that's so and neat. parents kids and we stay under the bridge and we I mean and the that probably was one of the most fulfilling things that I have done since I've been here. What was the reaction because from the kids? Eye opening. Yeah. Eye opening because again it's one of those moments that if you just think your life is just so bad and you're seeing adults and children. Right. Who don't have a roof and don't nothing. yeah. Literally. Literally. Yeah. Literally. So they just sort That's of so, stood there, and wow. you just see them naturally. And one of the students gave a, a, their hat to, to another child. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was things like that yeah. that you're just like, oh, my goodness. So now there's just like a you know, portion of our school every single Saturday that's out there. Actually, he's doing mm. something with the dads this Saturday. About 50 dads are coming in, and they're having a dinner with the dads. Oh, so a mm. lot of this is like really – you know, a lot of this is, has given birth to just con- trying to bring the community and making them a part of Lincoln. And it's it's been really good. We've got another one happening. A friend of mine who was on the Food Network, um, she was on America's Next Food Network star. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and I think she got in top three or so. Oh. I couldn't watch the show because she's a close girlfriend of mine. I just couldn't. Oh. It just seemed so unreal <laughs> to watch. But she's coming. Actually, we had to postpone it. She's coming on April 6th, and she's doing a chili cook-off. And so with these extra funds, when um, Sam's Club closed, yep. they were donating so much. So our community coordinator, Mr. Warden, got, like, you know, skillets and cutting boards and knives and, oh, and wow. utensils. And these are the things the parents are going to cook the chili with. Oh, the chili's going to go feed the homeless yeah. on that Saturday. But they get to go home with all of these things. Oh, that's really nice. You know, that were donated Yeah, that's to huge. Us. So it's just been, you know, and even like when I took a yoga class at the studio and one of the yoga teachers sent a check. And it's yeah. just like a lot of the things, the giving. Yeah. That has happened this year has been amazing. Now, if people want to help contribute to, I mean, like the Gratitude Journal fundraiser or your Thanksgiving dinner or any of these number of other things that you're doing here to just better this whole community, mm-hmm. is there a specific person they can contact or a place they can, like, w- send the checks to? What? Yeah, I mean, they could. We've had people that have just come here and dropped off checks. You know, okay. we have families who, you know, work for different companies and, you know, they'll put their child's school and we've gotten a $500 check here or whatever. All they have to do is just come in and, and just no one in particular. I mean, we have Miss Lavy, our secretary, who sort of is the heartbeat between her and Miss Mahmood. We have the sisters, the Mahmood sisters, oh. <laughs> um, who, you know, we just welcome anyone coming yeah. in and coming in, giving of any way. Like, yep. it doesn't even have to be money. We really like for people to come in and, and be a experience part. it. Experience yeah. Okay. It. Because the kids, you know, I think sometimes Lincoln got a pretty bad rap back in the days. Um, you know, and their kids are, like I said, they're challenging. Yeah. They're middle school kids who are exposed to things that we were never exposed to. Well, you don't have to go far to be in a rough neighborhood, and that's a very rough neighborhood for that matter. Mm -hmm. So it's, Mm -hmm. yeah. But when you think about it, a lot of the times when you see them in those settings, um, the kids are actually quite a – we just had a family fun night, and we had a Moe's taco bar. Oh, cool. And the kids served. Oh, the parents? They served the parents. They served the adults. Oh, that's funny. And they're extremely – like, just to watch them when they are of service, they are so giving. Yeah. You know? So it's so ideal to put them in that type of setting. Yeah. Uh, Because even when they – because the next day, one of the girls who runs this building all day long, but that night she was probably the best Mm. server and just so attentive. Yeah. You know, so it's like giving them those opportunities. Brings out little pieces in it. It does. Yeah. It oh, really, that's really, really does. I mean, it's just amazing the transition that's happened here. I mean, the mm-hmm. stories you hear and, I mean, just the just the things that you're doing so far above and beyond what your job title is and what you're instilling in your whole staff to continue to do those things. But they also inspire, and I'll tell you, I mean, my, and I'll say this because, you know, I'm just as good as, as, as my staff. Yep. Um, if not, I learn more from them because, again, I'm not from here. Yeah. So if there wasn't um, my staff embracing me and sort of showing me the way, because there are things sometimes on my sort of New York, you know, attitude, yep. so to speak, where, you know, I'm humbly reminded, you know, of, of where I am. Yeah. Well, it's know? nice that there's that trust and that and openness on all levels. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. And that was the thing that even with all that happened with the gratitude journals and to even see the staff come together to take yoga. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I would have never thought that yeah. any of the staff, you know, would jump to that. And a lot of them did. Oh, that's And really that w- it was really cool because I think that brought them together and yeah. people going out to dinner and going to have smoothies. And we were like, okay, we're doing a smoothie yeah. run. Who wants a sm- smoothie? People were really proud you know, of what this had done. And it also, I remember when new staff were starting with us and one of them was doing a training elsewhere and the staff member texted me and was like, I just want you to know that even though I'm not there, I'm writing in my journal, my gratitude Oh, journal. wow, yeah. And, you know, shared what they were grateful for and I was just like, aw. Yeah. You know, so it just sort of helped us, you know, after so much change and turnaround because there was, year one was not easy. Tough, I'm sure. It was very tough. Yeah. Because I think because I wasn't, you know, a native of Syracuse, you know, people. Well, and like you said, you're the you're the other one in a in a revolving door of. And I think it says a lot. You know, we at the yoga studio we hear a lot of times, and I I was this way before I met my now wife. Mm -hmm. um, 
like I was too afraid to go to yoga to put myself out there. So it's weird. Yoga is one of those things that a lot of people want to try, but they won't do it. And so for your staff to come together and do it with each other shows the trust that they have in one another that they wouldn't share with just going to a random class alone, which that speaks volumes. It does. Well, Loan, thank you so much. I mean, it's like I said, it's just it's incredible. and And I appreciate your invitation for people to come and and visit Lincoln. And I, I would encourage people to do that. It sounds like a silly thing to go visit a middle school, but I, I really would encourage people to come here and see what is going on. Um, so before we start, I said if there was something that you could recommend to people, uh, you know, a book, a TV show, uh, just something to do, what, what can you offer?